Yeah, good to be with you all. We were here two weeks ago, got to meet some of you and uh, enjoyed our time. So it's good to be back up. We had to leave our little kiddos behind with uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles both times. So they are enjoying getting away with everything that uh, they normally wouldn't when mom and dad are there. Um, last time we called and we found our little girl, Sky had cups of water in the living room, pouring them into each other. And I was like, what are you doing? She goes, I got water. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Mom and Dad. Teaching her bad things. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to share a little bit about my kids this morning as our opening illustration. So I, I wanted you wanted to tell you about how much my kids love the outdoors. They really like to go on, on walks and hikes in the woods with grandmas and grandpas. And they are constantly asking me if they could go outside and play. Now, we have uh, a yard that we're renting from my father-in-law that has a lot of dirt, and as much as I've encouraged him to maybe go ahead and put the gravel down so there's not as much dirt all over, he's like, ah, oh, the kids need to get messy. So um, we deal with that, and the kids like to go out and dig in the dirt a little bit. And my three-year-old, August, my little boy, he especially likes to grab his shovels and his spoons and do his excavation projects, and then he'll dump the dirt into his trucks and pretend he's out on a construction site. Uh, but the thing about August is that he really does not like getting his hands dirty. If he gets them dirty on accident while he's playing in it, he'll run up to me with tears in his eyes and say, Daddy, dirty, please help clean. Now, Sky, my two-year-old, don't let those big blue eyes on that paper fool you. She's a mess maker and a troublemaker, but she is sweet. She loves to get her hands down deep in the dirt and smear it all over herself, get it in her hair. No matter how many times I tell her to stop or that she's going to get in a timeout, she'll wait till I'm not looking and go right back to it. And then when she's sure I'm not looking, she'll get that dirt and she'll go over to her very neat brother and put it all over him until somebody's crying and then both of them are crying. But, um, you know, Skye really loves the dirt. And I've even caught her a few times doing what many toddlers do in sampling a little bit of it or a little bit of the grass, and she'll try to sneak it when I'm not looking. And we recently went to a checkup, and we were speaking to a nutritionist about Skye, and one of the questions that came up was, does she like to eat a lot of dirt and grass? And I was a little bit surprised about the question at first, but I, I said, no, not more than your average toddler who's just exploring the world. She's not doing it constantly. But apparently, eating a lot of dirt and grass could be a signal of a problem in the child. Either it signals that they have a developmental problem that's starting to show up, or they're under a lot of stress at home, or they aren't getting the nutritious diet that they need. So that's causing the cravings for things like iron and stuff, and they're trying to get it through the dirt. Well, thankfully, that's not a big problem with Skye because she's our foodie and she loves to chow down. And true to her dirty, messy nature, she gets the food all over the place. And uh, her blonde hair is usually matted with spaghetti sauce and everything. 
but she craves the nutrients that any toddler needs to grow. Just like toddlers, we need to crave the right things in our spiritual lives, the right nutritious things if we keep wanting to grow in the Christian faith. If we want to grow in our spiritual lives, we need to keep craving the right things. Now, those of us who have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ have been born again. But we need to remember that it's not a done process. We still need to continue to grow, not getting stuck. But unfortunately, sometimes there can come points in our lives where we do get stuck, where our growing stalls because we start falling back into sinful habits, just like the toddler who starts going back to the dirt to eat that instead of the nutritious food that they need. And we fail to seek the things that are good for us that we need to grow up in our faith, the things that are good for us. Today, we're going to talk about leaving sinful division behind us and continuing to long after God's word in our lives. We're going to talk about continuing to intentionally pursue the transformation of the Spirit of God in our lives through the Word of God. Now we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And if you do need a Bible, I think there are some extras if you need to get one. We're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. And first we will see a few things that we're supposed to get rid of, that we're supposed to be done with, we're supposed to take to the dump and leave them behind and be finished with them. And second, we're going to talk about the things that we need to continue to crave and long for and want in the Christian life. And lastly, after we do those two things, we're going to stop for a moment and consider how we can start to practice this this week. A few practical implications of God's word today. So if you recall from our previous section, which I believe Tim preached on two weeks ago, bringing you back a little bit, Peter had told the believers to earnestly practice brotherly love, loving each other, because they had been reborn through the word, that is, through the gospel message, they had new life, and it was supposed to overflow in brotherly love in community. Now he is going to talk about two implications of being born again. Two implications of being born again for our Christian lives as we continue in the faith. The first thing we are to do in light of being born again is to put some things away. Peter tells us in, in, in uh, verse 1 here of chapter 2, to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Or we could say it another way. We're to get rid of these things, to throw them in the trash and just be done with them. To toss them aside. In light of being born again, we are to get rid of selfish attitudes and actions that cause division amongst us. We are to get rid of selfish attitudes and actions that cause division amongst us. Now remember, 
back in chapter 1, Peter had told us in verse 22 that since we had been born again, we are supposed to love each other with brotherly love, but we can't really have brotherly love if we are full of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy in our interactions with one another. Those things don't match up with brotherly love. They contradict it. So what are these things? Let's unpack them a little bit. You can't show malice or ill will towards others and have harmony. These are the opposites. It's the opposite of harmony. Peter called us to a sincere love in 122, but we can't have sincerity, genuineness with each other if we are being hypocritical and deceitful with each other. You can't have sincere love if we can't trust one another. Envy, being jealous of others and what they have, whether materially or in life or in their family, job, success, whatever it may be, having envy of them is also inconsistent with loving community unity because it it selfishly, focuses on us and what we don't have instead of focusing on others and loving what we see in them. And of course, last on Peter's list, slander, which is spreading false stories or making remarks that insinuate bad things about other people. Sometimes, even if they are true, going out of your way to tell other people about those bad things is contradictory to love. Because love seeks to build up instead of tear down. Like, um, in light of being born again, we are to get rid of those attitudes and actions, these forms of speech that cause division in community. We're to get rid of it in light of being born again. That's the first implication of our rebirth. And now Peter moves on in uh, to the second application implication in verse 2 and 3 if you want to look there in your bible verse 2 and 3 says like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good now when my son august was born he was born a, a big guy he was what, nine pounds, two ounces, something like that. Huge baby. But uh, as with many newborns, um, he started to drop a little weight pretty quickly. And when we went for our first pediatrician checkup within those first few days, he had dropped about a pound and a half, which is a trend you don't want to see continue in those first week or two of life. So the, we talked with the, uh, the pediatrician, and they gave us the little infamil supplement bottles. Now, I remember going home, and we gave those to that little guy, and he grabbed them with his little hands and chugged them down. He was craving the nutrients that they had. And within, I think, just one or two nights, he gained a full two pounds quickly. It's like... Your bodybuilder drinking protein shakes to bulk up. He was putting on weight fast. And to this day, August is now three years old, and that craving thirst that he has hasn't subsided. 
when we give him his juice cup, we know that we're not going to be talking to him until he's done. He just chugs and chugs and chugs and doesn't really come up for air or to say anything. He might go, huh, yeah, until he's done. He chugs it down. He has a thirst and a craving. That same thirst, that same craving that little ones are supposed to have for nutritious things, just like little babies crave nutritious milk, is something that should characterize our Christian lives no matter what stage we are at in it. It's something that should characterize our Christian life. Longing for what Peter calls pure spiritual milk. The word for spiritual here is an interesting word in the Greek. It's a little bit unique. Um, The word spiritual is actually connected to the Greek word logos. They have a similar root. And of course, logos means word. So that's what Peter is getting at here. Just as babies long for milk, pure spiritual milk is the metaphor he uses, we're supposed to long like that for the word of God. So the second implication of being born again is that we are to continue to crave the word. Now, it's important to realize that he isn't just talking about new believers. If you look at the metaphor of uh, craving milk in other parts of scripture, such as Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians or the author of Hebrews, they're talking about in those sections, those who crave milk in the sense that they're immature and they're not ready for the deeper stuff. You know, they're still babies who are refusing to grow up. They're still sticking with the basics of the Christian faith, and they're not really wanting the meat. But that is something different than what Peter is doing here. Peter is using the metaphor of longing for milk like babies because he wants us to realize that we're supposed to continue to have that craving and that we are dependent upon it just like a baby cannot live and grow up without milk. So there's two things there, dependency and craving. That's the point of what uh, Peter is driving at here. Peter is saying that there is not a point this side of life when you are finished growing. That's why he says grow up into salvation. He's not saying that you need to get there by doing all these things. He says you've started. You've been born again. Now it's, continue, it's time to continue growing up into it. We are never finished growing. We are to long and thirst to know more of God in Scripture so that we can grow up. The point is that while we are born again, sanctification continues. And we need to become more like Christ. And we do that by craving the word. If you are born again, you are supposed to continue growing. And that has to be intentional. You don't sit around on the couch when you're a teenager completely waiting for your growth spurts to happen. I mean, it does come kind of naturally. But if you're not going to the fridge to get milk and, you know, a nice... um, bologna sandwich, something like that, then your growth spurts aren't probably going to work out. You need nutrition when you're growing, and that's why teenagers are constantly emptying the fridge when they're going through that phase in their life. They have to be intentional about getting what their body needs. You can't just sit around passively in your Christian life waiting to grow if you aren't 
getting the nutrition in the word that you need. You have to let the Spirit take control of your life and give yourself to Him by craving more of Scripture. Now back in chapter or chapter 1, verse 23, when Peter had told us that we were born again, he mentioned that we were born of imperishable seed. So this is kind of interesting because he goes from one moment talking about imperishable seeds to the next talking about us as babies craving milk. And it's a little bit of a mixed metaphor, but it helps to really drive home his point. Um, there's a connection here. Just as milk, you know, signifies our dependency in growing up, so a metaphor of a seed kind of signals for us that there is a potential to grow up, that we need to remember that we've had that potential to keep growing from the moment we first came to faith. Now, this summer, uh, I took up gardening. It was something I've always wanted to get into, but For the past several years, I've been living in the inner city for a while in downtown Chicago on the eighth story of a building, and then the last five years in Dallas in a four-story building, and I didn't really have the time or the means or the place to really garden like I wanted to. So finally, this last year, when we moved home back to New Mexico, where, surprise, in the desert you can still grow things, Um, I finally got to take advantage of having some space to garden. So I went to the store and I browsed through all the aisles and I grabbed as many seed packets as I could. My wife was probably starting to think I had an addiction because every time I'd come back from the store, I'd have a new seed packet ready to grow. But I got those seed packets. I filled my growing containers and I got some cheap soil, mixed it with some dirt, found things in my kitchen that I could add to the soil like old coffee grounds for the plants to get the nutrients they need. Made sure that they got the sun, the water they needed, and waited for them to grow. Now about midsummer, I was looking at them and I started to realize that they weren't exactly where I wanted them to be. They were slacking off in their growth. They were a little bit stunted. They were very green from all the coffee grounds but they weren't blooming and they weren't hitting their peak heights that they could have reached. So I went to the store after doing a little bit of research and I realized that they they needed phosphorus. They had a lot of nitrogen making them very green, but they needed phosphorus to bloom and grow fruit. So I got some miracle Grow Bloom Booster and I uh, did a little bit more than the package told me I should, gave them lots and lots of it, and sure enough, they drank it up and continued to grow, and then suddenly I had vines of uh, squash growing everywhere, flowers everywhere, mammoth sunflowers growing in the backyard, and it was beautiful, and I loved it. Those all came from very little seeds that had the potential to grow, but they needed nutrients to do so. And because I was missing the phosphorus, because they weren't getting what they were need, their growth was stalling out. They needed something more. Those little seeds had the potential to grow from the very beginning, but they needed to be fed to properly grow. And we all have the potential to grow. But we need to remember to be intentional and take advantage of the nourishment that we find in the Word of God. 
This is something that we need to remember throughout our Christian lives because we could go through times where our desire for God's word, for one reason or another, starts to diminish. It might be because we're busy. We have little ones who are constantly taking up our time or our job is keeping us busy or we're finding that as we're working through Scripture, we're not understanding it, so it's hard to really get into it. Those things can happen. If we're all honest, we hit those seasons of life where our craving for the Word diminishes more than we would like. But if we continue to long for the the for the word, the spirit will use it to continue to transform us as we learn to be more like Christ, to be transformed, to be more like him. Now, in verse three, if you look there, Peter says that if we have truly experienced the Lord, if we have been reborn and tasted the Lord's goodness, when we first believed that gospel message, it's assumed that we're going to crave more. It's just like when a little kid gets that first taste of chocolate. They don't forget it. They come back for more. Heather and I have been trying to leverage that craving for our body trading needs. Our son loves chocolate, and he'll come back for it again and again because he's tasted it, and he knows that it is good. So Peter is saying here that, If the Spirit of God has shown us that the Lord is good when we first believe the gospel, we should continue to crave and long for more of him throughout our Christian life, no matter what stage we're at, newborn believer or veteran in the faith. That craving should remain and should continue to grow so that we may learn more about our Lord in the scriptures. So far this morning, we've considered the two implications that Peter has of our rebirth, of being born again. First, we looked at getting rid of the bad things. Just like toddlers shouldn't be eating lots of dirt, we need to leave some things behind us that cause division. Speech that causes division. Attitudes and actions that cause division. And we instead need to crave the new, to crave the word of God in our spiritual lives. So I want to take a little bit of time this morning to step back and think about how we all can make this a little bit practical in our everyday lives, even this week. So the first implication I I would say we have of this is uh, that one of the main places we need to be watching for selfish division is online, on social media. Because those same divisive, division-causing words that Peter talks about often show up in our social media lives. And uh, we'll address the comic here since everybody, it's a great one. Are you coming to bed? I can't. This is important. What? Someone is wrong on the Internet. We live in an age of outrage and arguments. Research has shown that in the last decade and a half, more and more people have been coming to pastors for counseling for anxiety. Back in the 90s, the main issue that pastors usually addressed in counseling was depression. Now it's anxiety because we live in a world where we feel overwhelmed. We see our national tragedies on the news. We 
are insecure about our jobs, whether they'll be there when we need them. We get on social media or online and we're constantly faced by a barrage of news and political arguments that just keep coming at us. And we're very aware that the world is not under our control. And when that kind of bombardment keeps coming at you, it just feeds anxiety. And anxiety can lead us to lash out and vent. And one of the main places that we tend to do that is online through social media. Now more than ever, we see our country divided, but also our fellow evangelicals as we are confronted with big issues that stir us up. Facebook feeds often become the place where we are tempted to vent our frustration and our worry upon others. And it's not always aggressive attacks. Sometimes it's just deleting people, you know, deciding that we're not talking to them anymore. But to an outside world looking in on Christians on their Facebook feeds, we don't seem like a people of unity sometimes. They see our malice and they see our division in our speech and the way we talk to each other online. And it's not a good representation of the gospel. We need to remember that. That's not what we want to be known for. And we need to find ways to avoid those circumstances. Arguments can be dropped. We can walk away from them and try not to fix everyone. You know, one of the things that I've been learning over the years is that when I come and I see somebody posting some ridiculous stuff on Facebook, I don't need to correct them all the time. The Lord has his way of doing that instead. It doesn't always happen in the same amount of time that I'd like it to. Sometimes it takes a few more years, but it sure takes root a lot better than when, if I were to fix the person. Find ways to back down the hostility when you're in those interactions online. Uh, A few of my friends have gotten to the point where they're so tired of people trying to argue with them that they'll just drop a simple message. Hey, I want to get together and talk about this over coffee. Not right here. Not online. Let's get together in person so that we could actually see each other and talk about this. And it calms things down. Find ways to avoid those circumstances. Don't always try to fix everyone. And find room in your heart to give those you disagree with the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes we just don't understand each other. And we both might have valid points, and we don't need to be malicious about our disagreements. When you interact with people on social media, get rid of the anger and the malice and have online interactions that are instead marked by grace, by long-suffering patience and selflessness. In short, make your Facebook feed reflect the gospel. Make your interactions online with other people reflect the gospel message. Now, the second implication that I thought we could discuss today of our message today is that uh, when we find ourselves harboring ill will toward our brothers and sisters when we find ourselves not being able to speak to them or about them in a good and healthy way we need to learn to pray for them 
someone, a pastor once said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. If we are having trouble finding unity and peace with our brothers and sisters, praying for them changes our hearts because it gets us to stop focusing on their problems and focusing on their good that we want for them. Now, I wouldn't stop there. I'd say that we need to pray for them if we're having trouble speaking good with them. We need to pray for them, but we also need to seek their good in practical ways. Find ways to be present when they're hurting, when they're going through tragedy, when they're confused about work, when they're confused about life. Be there for them. If they have needs, if they can't get down the hill to buy the groceries, find a way to help them out. Provide rides when they need it. Give them gas money. Be practical in seeking the good of others. And speak well of them to other people. Sometimes other Christians, if we're honest, could rub us so much the wrong way that we have trouble finding the good things to say. But we need to seek to find good things to say about our brothers and sisters to other people. Find good things to say about them. Go out and grab coffee with them. And we could summarize this application point this way. If you are struggling to love someone in your speech, if you're struggling to love someone in your speech, intentionally pursue their good in prayer and action. This is developing a heart that is not self-centered, but that is other-centered and learning to live it out practically. Now, the third point that I think we could apply from our message today is that we need to find as many ways as possible to bring Scripture into our life. Find as many ways as possible to bring Scripture into our lives. The most obvious way is to find regular time to read Scripture as part of a routine. Now, I think we could all admit that it's called a spiritual discipline because that is difficult. It takes discipline to learn to do that. And we must... Find ways to carve out time, beginning of the day, middle of the day, end of the day, where we can get into God's word. But we should leverage other ways as well to keep scripture on our minds as we grow by feeding our cravings for scripture. Find time to study scripture with others. Get involved in small groups where you could talk about scripture with other people. Read and discuss scripture with friends. My brother, uh, he gets together with one or two men in his church once a month, and they pick an article or a passage, and they just sit together, and they spend time once a month just going deep on it. So that way they're in the Word, and they're craving it together. Find times where you could discuss Scripture as a family or with your spouse. When Heather and I first got married, we found that we were having trouble getting into a good devotional routine. And uh, it, was, it was a difficult time, stressful with school and work. So we eventually said, we got to do this. Let's find a way. So we decided to do our devotional times together. 
And we actually ended up settling on the book of Revelation. I know that's not probably where most couples start their devotional life together. But we used our ESV study Bibles to help us with the footnotes to kind of get a grasp of what's going on here. What is the Lord trying to say through all this? And it was a time of really refreshing our hunger for God's word together. You could seek out another person to help you grow in your cravings for the word if you need to do that. Now, we could also find ways to internalize scripture. And the most obvious one is by memorizing scripture. And another one would be meditating upon it. Now, memorization can be challenging. And kids are very good at it. That's why they excel in Awana. And as we get older into adulthood, it gets a little bit more difficult to continue to memorize scripture. But it's something that is very healthy to do because it internalizes it and it keeps it on our minds. Now, I would suggest that if you want to do this, you just have to pick a passage and make a plan to tackle it a little bit by a little bit, and it's repetition from there. Now, earlier in the first service, I I mentioned that uh, we all have these favorite verses that we have, whether John 3.16, Philippians 4.13, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And I'm not going to try to quote them because first service I, uh, I kind of forgot <laughs> the verse I wanted to, to uh, quote for you. But the point I want to make here is we all have those, those little passages that we probably had down from when we were first believers or even kids that we know by heart. But often we don't know the next verse. We don't know what comes right after That could be a great place to continue to pick up your memorization skills. Learn John 3, 17, and then 18, and then 19, and then 20. Flesh it out. Your mind already has a framework for the ones that you've memorized, and you can continue to bring more of Scripture into your head, into your permanent memory, where it could be there and transform you. To memorize, you need to do things like read aloud, read it silently, write it out. You know, this is, this is what memorization and memory building is all about. Finding as many ways as you can to help your mind and your brain write that into its long-term memory. You could even make it into a song and sing it. Just please don't do that around the rest of us. I don't want to hear it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Now, as far as meditation goes on the word, a friend recently suggested a a method for meditating on scripture. He and his wife had started taking uh, a chapter of scripture at a time, and they get a journal, and they each write out word by word the entire chapter. And the nice thing about doing that is that it gets you to really slow down and internalize it and process it and think about it instead of just saying, All right, I'm done, you know, moving on. It gets you to slow down and really take it in. So I'm thinking about picking that one up myself. Find books that help you understand Scripture more. Listen to music that points you to Scripture. If you have children's Bibles laying around, pick those up and read them because sometimes all you need to do is get back to the basics and start craving the Word of God again. Leverage everything you can 
to grow and to keep craving God's word so that you can continue to be nourished and become more like Christ through the work of the Spirit. Crave God's word. How wonderful is it that we have all found new life in Jesus Christ? Just like Tim's last sermon talked about, we have all been born again. We have new life in him. Through the powerful word of God, we have been reborn. But as Peter has reminded us today, we need to continue to grow in our salvation. Leaving behind the old attitudes and actions that cause division amongst us. Leaving those behind and instead craving after God's word so that we may grow up. Today we've been reminded to get rid of selfish attitudes and to crave God's word. And we can do that first by seeking to have healthier, gracious conversations online. Second, by finding ways to prayerfully and practically seek the good of others when we're struggling to love them with our speech. And third, we need to find as many ways as possible to bring Scripture into our life. Throw out the old attitudes of division and crave the living word. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this reminder and this chance to get together with your people here in Idlewild and be reminded, Lord, of the rebirth that we've experienced and that you have big plans for us in continuing to transform us by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember not to be passive and wait or stall out in that change process but the Lord to put off the old things, to put away the things that cause division amongst us and to crave your word, Lord, as, as newborn infants, wanting more and more of it. And I pray that as we go about our week, you would help us to live this out, to get into your word so that we could be transformed and show the light of your gospel to our communities. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.